But I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. And we are continuing our study today in a passage that is really a very important place in Scripture because it clearly defines the difference between man's religion and God's religion. There are 21 religions that are listed as the major religions of the world. And among those, there are so many variations. I mean, it's just like the numbers of bugs that are in all the forest of the world. There are just all kinds of variations of them. And looking at the second source for all truth in the world, which is Wikipedia, the Internet declares, the Internet declares that there are 38,000 denominations in Christianity... By contrast, there are over 150 sects of Islam, uh, which is kind of strange because Muhammad, the great prophet of Islam, said that Islam would be divided into 73 sects and all but one of them would go to hell. And he was apparently wrong in that prophecy because there are over 150 and all of them are going to hell, which uh, by my calculation makes him a false prophet. Uh, There are many that are in all of these different religions and they uh, claim to be the right way. They say they're the right way to God and some of them say that there is more than one right way to God. And so they embrace the others and they're happy with peaceful coexistence and cooperation. Even some in Christianity will say the same and it becomes more and more popular every year for churches to seek an interfaith dialogue. I was reading in USA Today a few weeks ago, and and don't worry about this, I'm not going to preach from the newspaper today, but I was reading an example of interfaith in the USA Today, and it was talking about a Muslim family that sent their children to a Christian school. Now, as it turns out, the Muslims don't like public schools either, and so they sent their children to what they what we would call a Christian school they sent them to a Catholic school actually and every day they recited the catechisms and the rosary and so forth and one day they were riding along in their car and the little boy of the family spotted a statue that was in a window of a store and he said oh look mommy it's the blessed virgin mary And that Muslim family was upset with that because they wondered if they were going to lose their children to another faith. Well, the idea today is that the best that we can do is is just to uh, accept the beliefs of others, to stop proselytizing, stop trying to convert other people because all of them are going to heaven anyway. Now, it's interesting that the founders of the religions that have the most adherents say differently than that. Mohammed said that there was only one sect of Islam that was going to heaven. And so what do you think that he thought about all the other sects of Islam and all the other religions of the world? Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father. And and he meant by that that no one comes to the one true and living God. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so Jesus was very exclusive with his claim. Christianity is a religion that by the definition of its founder excludes all other religions. Now, I'm not trying to compare Jesus and Muhammad today as being equal in their opinions, but I can say that Jesus was as tough on his own people and as tough on those that claim another Christianity than his. He was as tough on them as he was pure pagans that worship bugs and creeping things 
and atheists that believe that there is no God. Now, this passage shows the difference between man's tradition and man's religion and God's truth. And there's a very marked difference between those two. We must know God's truth in order to worship God in the right way. Now, if you look at our text verses, Matthew 15, stand with me, please, as we begin reading in verse number 1. Matthew 15, verse number 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. Open up our hearts to the message that you'd have us to receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. J.C. Ryle summed up the first nine verses of this chapter with three truths that are taught. Number one, he said... Hypocrites generally attach great importance to mere outward things in religion. He said, number two, that there is great danger in adding anything to the word of God. And then thirdly, he said, the religious worship that God desires is the worship of the heart. Now, those are the three serious errors that the people that Jesus talked to on this day made concerning the Word of God, and the traditions that they so religiously follow. Now, you might want to keep those three things in mind as we go through the message today. And at first, that we might look at this uh, passage in Scripture as an argument over religion that really doesn't have much meaning in the modern world. But the truth of the matter is that the world has not really changed very much since the time of Jesus. There may be a thousand new gadgets that we can tinker with. There may be many different forms of entertainment that they didn't have back then that occupy our time. But the core problems of humanity and of the heart and of the religion and of our religion is the same as it ever was. When Jesus spoke to the people in this chapter, it's the same as if he were standing right here in this pulpit today and talking to you about these very issues. In fact, since we do believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead and we do believe in the living Savior, then we can say that when we read the word of God, that this is God speaking to us personally. When Jesus says these words in the Bible, he says what he means and he means what he says and we need to take it exactly as he says. We can't pretend here. We can't cover this up and say, well, it doesn't matter the same today. It's not the same thing. No, we believe in the living Christ. And so we believe the words that are spoken here are the words of God himself. And they're pertinent to our society today. 
We have his word. We have the scripture. And one of the core teachings of the scripture is this, is that it's an, our infallible resource for our relationship with God. It's through scripture that we know God. And when Jesus spoke, he never spoke from an inferior position. He never argued as a one that was among equals. He always silenced his critics. And that's because he was God in the flesh speaking to man. And who can argue with God? Now I want to, us to notice today how that Jesus met the enemies of the truth and what he said about those that have their faith in their traditions rather than in the living word of God. Now just by way of review, we need to look very quickly at verses 1 and 2 that we discussed last week. Here it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now last week we began with this first point, which is the officials from Jerusalem. These ones that confronted Jesus were not the same leaders in Galilee that so often pressed him on Scripture. These are not the same ones that had thrown him out of the synagogue in Nazareth. But this is a special delegation, a special delegation of men that came from Jerusalem, which is the place of the temple, which is the holy city of God. They were considered to be the most learned and the best equipped to deal with Jesus and to handle any questions that he might give to their, or handle any answers rather, that he might give to their questions. Next, we talked about the objection of the delegation. And their objection is that Jesus and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. Now, that might seem to us to be a very silly objection. Uh, Certainly not something that we would have a big argument over. So what's this big deal about washing your hands before you eat? Well, we wash our hands because we're afraid of germs. We don't want to ingest the germs. But the Pharisees were not afraid of germs. They were afraid of demons. They weren't afraid of physical defilement. They were afraid of spiritual defilement. One of their beliefs was that demons, a special demon named Shipta, sat on the hands of people at night. And if they didn't get up and go through all the ceremonial cleansing of washing their hands before they ate, then it was possible to ingest that demon and thus to be defiled. And then besides that, there were other things that could cause them to be defiled. They might touch something that a Gentile had touched, or they may touch something that someone that was defiled had touched. And so there were also secondary issues involved, many different ways that a person could become defiled. And so they had this law that they had set up that a person must go through a ceremonial washing. Again, we're not talking about washing away the germs, not to get clean hands in that way, but to wash away the defilement of sin. Now the question that we would have about this and what Jesus points out here is... Is this a tradition or is this, is this something that's found in the word of God? Can you find a book, a chapter, or a verse that will substantiate that belief? And that's not the only transgression of the disciples. There were hundreds of violations that were mounting up. But this seems to be the one that was so obvious to consider because you remember earlier that Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 or more people, maybe fifteen or 20,000 as we explained in those messages. Jesus handled the food, his disciples distributed the food, and the people ate the food. 
And never once do we see in there that, that anyone went through the ceremonial cleansing of washing their hands before they ate. So we have this mass violation of the Jewish law. It's right there in front of them, right in front of the religious leaders. They can see this, a mass violation of their law. And I remind you, it's Jewish law, not God's law, because they didn't have a book, a chapter, and a verse that they could go to for their objections. So where did they find their objection? Why, why is this such a big problem? Well, that's the third point, and that's the opinion of the elders. The elders said this. It was the elders' opinion. Now, when we talk about the elders, these are people that are in this long line of scribes that trace their way back all the way into the Old Testament to, uh, for hundreds of years, all the way back to Moses. And especially in the past 400 years of Israel's history, they had become the ones who were the protectors of the law. They added all kinds of new laws to put a hedge around the word of God, and they valued their opinions more than they did the word of God. So they incorporated their comments and their methods until their laws had replaced what God said, and keeping those traditions was more important than keeping the commandments of God. As J.C. Ryle said, whenever a man takes upon him to make additions to the scriptures, he's likely to end with valuing his own additions above scripture itself. And when man's tradition interferes with God's commandments, what you have in the end is a different means of worshiping God. You have a different way of coming into a relationship with God. So what did these people say about a relationship with God? How did they get it? How, how, how did, or what is in their statement of faith that tells us how they believe you could come to God? Well, we have their own words. This is what they said. Whosoever hath his abode in the land of Israel and eateth his common food with washed hands and speaks the holy language and recites his phylacteries morning and evening, he may rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. And that statement of faith tells us that they had more faith in their traditions than they did in God himself. Now, isn't it interesting? Later on, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and asked him, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he had in his mind not just the commandments of God, but also these many, many different things that have been added that he thought were, were much more were of more or as much worth as the commands of God. Now, the Bible tells us that that man was a lawyer. That means that he was one of the scribes. So he was one in this line of people that asked the questions on this day. And do you remember where Jesus pointed him? He pointed to God's word, to what God said. And Jesus said to him, what do you read in the law? He didn't ask him, what are the the, uh, opinions of the elders? What do their traditions say? No, he pointed that man to the law of God, and he said, you do what's commanded in the word of God, and you will inherit eternal life. Now, the opinion of the elders matched the objection of this delegation, and their question is not, why do your disciples transgress God's law? Their question is, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Now, let's go on and let's see how Jesus answered that question. And it's not really an answer at all. He asked them a question instead. In verse number 3, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? 
Now, fourthly, we want to look at today the obligation to obey Scripture. Now, would you look here and see the way that Jesus' question parallels their question? They asked, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? And Jesus asked them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Now, you might want to underline the word also in your Bible there or circle that word because this is an admission by Jesus that, yes, his disciples had transgressed the elders. But we notice here that Jesus offers no excuse. He takes no notice of that. He just passes it off. And it's a very inconsequential thing to him that he has violated the traditions of man. Now, as you look at this, I know that each of you in here, you have a great desire to do what's right. You're here because you are interested in religion. And so we're going to try to bring this into the modern world today and ask you, which do you think is more important? Is it more important to keep traditions that have been established by man, or is it more important to obey God's word? And I hope you know the right answer to that question. Now, let's take, for example, let's suppose that I were to ask Jorge to come up here and stand on the platform with me. And I take out my Bible here, and I, and I say to Jorge, Now, Jorge, here is the Word of God. I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. And I find the Scripture in 1 Timothy 2, verse number 5, and I read it to him. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then I read another scripture to him. I go to the book of John where Jesus said in John 14, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then I go to John chapter 15. Where Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Then I go to John chapter 16, and I read this to him, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. But Jorge reaches down into his pocket, and he pulls out his rosary beads. And clutching very tightly to one of these beads, he places his fingers on one of these beads, and he holds it very tightly, and he says, Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. Do thee we do, to thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in the valley of tears. Turn thou, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus, O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. And I say, well, just, just a minute, Jorge. Hold on just a second here. Wait a minute. Why are you praying to Mary instead of God? I mean, can you show me where the Bible says that you are supposed to pray to Mary? And he says, well, don't worry about that. This, don't worry about the Bible. This is our tradition. We pray to Mary. And folks, believe me, that's just the tip of the iceberg about Mary and what Roman Catholics believe about her. 
They've added so many things to God's word on this and a hundred other subjects. So I say to Jorge, Jorge, why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Jesus said, and we so clearly read it in the scriptures just now, Jesus said, you pray to the Father in his name. And the scripture said that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And yet in your prayer, you said to Mary that she is the advocate. And that word means the same as the mediator. So you say by your tradition that Mary is a mediator. Now, can you please show me book, chapter, and verse for that? And so we say, who is right? Is it man's tradition or is it the command of God? And there you see how that what Jesus said is relevant to our day and time. By the way, these these are not my personal, this is not my personal rosary. I I borrowed this. (laughs) But you see how it's relevant to our time. I mean, there are just hundreds of these traditions that have been added to the word of God that people keep. They keep those traditions. They know far more about these traditions than they do the word of God. Now, Jesus goes on here, and he shows them how that they had transgressed God's law. Now, what I did, I just took out one example for you here of, of how Roman Catholicism uh, prays to Mary in, in violation of God's law. We have a command to pray to the Father through Jesus. And so I've showed you that. But Jesus is using a different example, something that's more pertinent to their time. And what he did was to take the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Now, we look at verse number four. It says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now number five, we want to look at the obstruction of the law by tradition. Now, what I've read here may be a little bit hard for you to understand, so I'm going to explain that. Let me see if I can simplify for you what Jesus says in this part of Scripture. Now, the fifth commandment says that we are to honor our father and mother. And we don't talk about that a lot. Sometimes we do, and when we do, we usually say a few words about children. We talk about our teenagers. We talk about respect that children ought to have for their parents. We talk about they should not talk back to their parents, and we bring up the Scripture, spare the rod, spoil the child, and all of that. But this command is actually far more comprehensive and reaching in its teaching. And I'm not going to go into all the implications of this commandment, but I just want to talk to you about this one part that Jesus addresses here. And this has to do with financial support of our parents. When they get old and something happens that they can't support themselves, then what we're supposed to do is to step in and fill that need. The Bible never tells us that you are to turn them over to the church and let the church take care of them. It doesn't say that you turn them over to public welfare and let them let public welfare take care of them. The scriptures teach that children are supposed to help their parents when they get into a need like this. 
and even goes further than that. In Exodus 21, 17, the scripture says, And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, that's the reference that Jesus is, is making in the scripture I just read to you when he said, Whosoever doesn't obey his father, mother, and so on, let him die the death. This is what he's talking about. There's a death penalty imposed upon someone who would do this. Now, that means that, that God is very, very serious about the transgression of his commandments. Now, here in Exodus 21, it says, Those that speak evil of father or mother, showing disrespect to them by their tongue, by striking them, by bringing reproach upon them, it says that son or daughter is to die the death, or to be put to death. God's very serious about the command. A death penalty is incurred by the transgression of the commandment. Now, the Jews acted very piously. They said or thought that there's no one in the world that is totally undefiled like they were. And yet in their heart, they had a cold, dead, selfish religion. They'd figured out a way to get around this commandment of supporting their parents, and the way that they did it, they just put in another law. They appealed to their tradition, and they obstructed the law by using that tradition. But what did their tradition say? Well, it said that if they were to to declare that their money had been dedicated to the Lord, then it would be wrong for them to take that money and to help their parents with it. So if their parents came and said, well, I need some money. We don't have any money to buy food. We're starving to death. And they would say, well, sorry, I can't help you. And that's because we've dedicated or we vowed to give our money to God. So we can't buy any food for you. Now, at first, that sounds, well, that's a righteous and a, sounds like a holy thing to do. I mean, they're exalting God. But they had a trick in this. And that is they didn't actually have to give it to God. All they had to do was declare that it was God. Just make God. Just make the claim. And Jesus says when you do that, you make the laws of God of no effect. In fact, they said that it was more punishable to disobey those traditions, the word of the scribes, than it was to go against the commandments of God. So they circumvented God's law. And they taught their children to do the same. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and by the way, if you didn't know this, Deuteronomy means second law, and what it means is actually the repetition of the law. We find it in Deuteronomy. And there, Moses said that they were to diligently teach these commandments to their children. But what the Jews had done, they were diligently teaching their children how to avoid the commandments. And that's a system that still goes on today. In Israel, you visit there, and you'll find that they look like they have a great reverence for the word of God because they'll put a mezuzah on the outside of their doors and a mezuzah is just a little holder for to put scripture in and that's supposed to remind them of the holiness of God's word but they have put in place all kinds of traditions to get around God's law so what did Jesus conclude about their practice well he says in verse 7 you're hypocrites you say that you love God and you obey God. You say it with your mouths, but in practice you obstruct the commands of God. You're all talk and no show. In your heart you have no desire at all to obey God. You don't love God, you love yourselves. Now Jesus wasn't very nice to people that disagree with him about religion. He always speaks the truth. So how could he say anything else or anything other to them than you are just a bunch of hypocrites? 
When he sees hypocrisy, he names it. He won't go along with it. He will not discuss it, and he will not excuse it. Now, let me show you something here that how we learn that human nature is not really changed and how the Bible is relevant for all time. What Jesus did was to step back 700 years in Israel's history and to quote from the prophet Isaiah. Verse number 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah, or Isaiah, prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Keep that in your mind in relation to what I've already said about how it's pertinent to today. Did Isaiah have knowledge of these scribes and Pharisees when he wrote this? No, he didn't have any knowledge of that. He was describing people in his time. He was talking about the deplorable conditions in Israel when they kept up all of their temple worship, all of their sacrifices. They went about their business every day of of keeping up with those kinds of laws. And they kept carrying out all the ceremonies, but that's all they were. They were just ceremonies. They were only so much religious activity. And they were involved with the worst kind of hypocrisy because what they did... They worshiped false gods along with Jehovah God. And they said, well, we're okay. Everything's fine. We've got all the bases covered. Everybody's right. Everybody's going to heaven. So we'll just continue with temple worship like we've always done. 700 years went by and Jesus looked at these people that were in front of him and they had no heart for God in their worship. They had no heart at all. They were swelled up heads. They were just talking heads, rattling off stuff that they had memorized over all these years that were traditions of their fathers. I heard a story once about a little boy that was born and had no body. He had no arms and no legs. He had no abdomen. He was just a head. So when he went to school, somebody had to carry him around. And when the other kids would go out to play, he just had to sit at his desk because he was just ahead. He couldn't do anything. He's just ahead. And one day he got to thinking, well, I'd like to be something different. I need to be something useful. So he said, I wish I was a grape. And all of a sudden he became a grape. But then one of the kids came along and accidentally knocked him off the desk on the floor and stepped on him. And the moral of the story is he should have quit while he was ahead. God does not want talking heads. God wants something more than just what's in your head. What God does, he reaches down and he goes below that. He wants a religion of the heart. He wants something higher than the knowledge that you have in your head, something more than just something you've memorized. He's gone to the heart and we serve him because he's in our heart. And because he's in our heart, that's what makes the change in our lives. Well, is what Jesus said to these people still relevant today? How many times have you heard people say, yesterday I went to Mass, and they went to church, but you watch what they do and you say, what in the world for? Why did you go to Mass? What difference did it make? And it didn't really make a difference at all. It's just a ceremony, just something they go through. It's all religious activity when their hearts are far from God. A few years ago, I was involved in an auto accident on Stony Point. And I'm not going to go into the details of that accident, but it wasn't my fault. And when I got out of the car to speak to this person that ran into me, and we started to exchange our information, 
He couldn't speak English. He could only speak Spanish. The only Spanish I know is taco and burrito, and he didn't say anything about tacos and burritos. So we didn't understand one another. And so I talked with him, and, you know, it was, it was going nowhere. So he, he pulled out his driver's license so I could copy down the information from it for my insurance company. And he took out the driver's license, and I noticed right on top, very visible, was a picture of the Virgin Mary. And I'm sure that he made sure that I would see that. And so I looked at that and I thought, wow, at least that guy's religious. Surely he wouldn't lie about this accident. But a few days later, my insurance company called me and they said, your statement to the police is nothing like what he said to the police. He said it was your fault and you ran into him. And we can't make a determination on this. We don't have enough information to tell who's at fault. Now, you see, folks, there is a fellow who had a form of religion. He could lie about something. He could, he could pull out his wallet, and there have the picture of the thing that he worships, his tradition. He could pull that out, and he could show that to me and at least put it into my mind that he's somebody who worships God. He has some kind of religious activity going on in his life, and maybe he's going to tell the truth, but that didn't matter to him at all. Now, unfortunately, the Virgin Mary could do nothing for him, and that's the sadness of it all. He had a tradition that he believed in that meant nothing at all. And there are just millions of people all over the world that are just like that. They have the outward form of religion, but that religion hasn't gone to the heart. It hasn't really made a difference in them. There is no change in what they are. They're a part of this monstrosity that we call Christianity that has no Christ in it at all. They're listening to the traditions of men rather than to the words of God. And it's the same old story, whether you're talking about 700 years before Christ or 2,000 years after he came. Well, we notice in verse number 9 what happens when you obstruct the commands of God in favor of traditions of men. Jesus said, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, when you elevate tradition over truth... You're not worshiping God. Now, you can put any kind of name on it that you want. Label it anything that you want. You're not worshiping God. And how many millions of people are there around the world that they think they're worshiping God when they pray to Mary? When all that they've done is disobey the word of God and label it as worship. You can't worship God unless you do it the way Jesus says, worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus said that is vain worship. Do you know why? You know what he means by vain? It's a word that actually means unproductive or a word that means no count. It's a religion that's no count. It doesn't do anything to honor God. It doesn't do anything to help the person. It doesn't help other people either. Now, you see it in the case of these scribes and Pharisees that they took one of God's commandments, one that was so helpful, one that is an example of how we are to love other people, and they threw it away. They couldn't even love their parents like God wanted them to. They were inwardly focused. They were self-righteous. They were lovers itself of self, and so they couldn't love their parents as they should. Jesus said to that rich young ruler, that all the commands of God are comprehended in two statements. He said, first, you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And he said, secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that tells us that 
our faith in God is a religion of the heart first. And we notice then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, they couldn't even love their own parents to meet God's standard. So how are they going to love anybody else? You see, that's why he says it's vain religion. It doesn't worship God. It doesn't help self. It doesn't do anything for anybody else. So what good is it? What good is that kind of religion? Well, I'll tell you what it's good for. It's good for kicking people when they're down. And that's what the Pharisees did. It's good for keeping up appearances. Just like the fellow that I talked to you about appears to be a Christian man and probably an honest one. It's good for keeping up the appearances. It's good for making other people miserable, which is, again, what all these laws and traditions that are put in place for is to give somebody rule over somebody else. It makes their lives miserable. It's good for making hypocrites. And most of all, it's good for sending people to hell because it's not right worship. It's not worship from the heart. So this is what they did. They made a mess of things by tradition. And here comes Jesus, and he's there to clean up the mess. So you look at what religion without the heart does. It elevates the traditions of men above the word of God, and what it does is make a mess of things. You see, if God has his laws in the Bible, and you can't trust God to run the world... How do you think man's going to do a better job? How's he going to put in place any kind of traditions that come from his own mind, anything to live after that's going to supersede and do a better job than God does? doesn't make any sense at all. Now, I hope you, I hope you learn this lesson. I hope you, hope you know this. What is it that you do by thus saith the Lord rather than, well, it's just the way we always did things. It's our tradition how much of it comes from your heart and how much of it is only religious activity. Now in the next part, Jesus calls the multitude together, he calls his disciples together and he discusses with them the truth of how a person is defiled and how it is corrected. And his words shocked them all. It even shocked his own disciples because they grew up in this tradition of the Jews and what Jesus did was just throw all of the traditions to the wind. And he says, you don't need any of that stuff. None of that stuff is going to make you right with God. And if he was here today, he would look at what churches are doing and all the things that they put in place that is not in the word of God and he would dismiss it all without even taking notice of it. It doesn't count. It's no good. It's vain religion. And so he says to these people here, don't ever worry about washing your hands again to clean, to clean up your heart or to clean up the defilement of your body or whatever. Don't ever worry about washing your hands again. What you need to worry about is your heart washed. Has your heart been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you saved? Are you cleansed? Are you washed in his blood? And that's the only way that you're going to be right with God. Throw away the traditions. Throw away what somebody told you to do. What did God say? Have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the way people are saved. And that's the way we come to the only one true living God, the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truths that come out of this and how important it is for us to see, Lord, that our religion must be one of the heart, that something has to happen on the inside. 
all of the exterior things that we do, all of the rituals that we might go through, none of that is going to make us right with you. The only thing that makes us right is that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that we receive him into our heart to cleanse us from all of our sin, and he does all that work for us. He's left nothing for us to do. Help people to see that today. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted you as Savior, that today would be the day they come to you in faith, believing in you to the salvation of their souls. And then help us as your people, as those of us that are here that are Christians, that we would very clearly give this message to others and that we might not try to cover anything up, not try to, to compromise with anyone's tradition. It, it's, it's this way and the only way, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Speak to us today, Lord. Lift our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.